Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. Um, welcome. Um, I, uh, I've been sitting on the front row here, and I'm, I'm not really sung much, which is uncharacteristic of me. I, I love these songs, those were good, but I have a heaviness. Uh, but before I get to the heaviness, and this may play into a part of the heaviness, I don't know, are you familiar with a, a lady by the name of Margie Noah? She's here. <laughs> Some of you are like, oh no. Uh, I mean, not because she's here, but <laughs> Margie, where are you, sweetheart? Margie, way, way in the back there. Margie experienced something this past week that not many people do, and it's a loss of a child. And uh, um, Alan, her son of 63 years, passed away due to complications from cancer, um, about a 14-month, give or take, battle with cancer. Um, My heart's heavy for her because that's the second child she's lost in her lifetime. I can't imagine ever losing a child, much less losing two children. Uh, so I'm asking for your prayers for Margie, uh, for Margie's uh, daughter-in-law and grandchildren that are also suffering this loss. She wanted me to make you aware, at least those of you who know the family, that there is a picnic in honor of him, since there's not going to be a dinner after the funeral. Um, on September the 11th, Saturday, September the 11th in Harrisville, Uh, at Heather and John Gray's house. That's her granddaughter and grandson. But if you want to know more details about that, you can seek the family out on that. Um, But I still am a little heavy. Like I said, I was sitting here on the front row and fighting against whatever this heaviness is. And I've been feeling a heaviness for a while. And and not that I'm uh, any more special than any of the rest of you, but I think people don't understand what pastors carry on a regular basis. Yeah, the old joke is we only work one day a week, and so we've got it so easy, but the reality is we carry burdens. Now, the reality is healthy pastors carry those burdens to the foot of the cross and leave them there because they know that he is the one who makes the burden light. He's the one that can deal with those burdens, but being a pastor for over a couple decades now, it's, it's hard it's hard not to grieve with those who grieve, mourn with those who mourn. And it's also hard not to be emotionally involved with the hardships that people are going through, not just because of a loss of a loved one, but because of sin in the life, because of sin in the family, because of infirmities or physical ailments. There's just a bunch of different things. And so pastors are privy to a lot more information than most of the regular general public are. They are in some sense somewhat counselors in some regard, even though we don't always carry the title or the licensure of counselor. Um, I guess I bring all of this up because I want you to know my heart's heavy for you. Um, There is no perfect church on the face of the earth. There is zero perfect churches across the globe. There are good churches, there are holy churches, but there is no perfect church. 
And every church, like every family, has a level of dysfunction. No matter how perfect your family is, there is still a brokenness within each of us that causes dysfunction to ripple out within a family. Yes? This has nothing to do with my sermon, and yet it does this morning. I wish I could pinpoint the burden I feel or the heaviness I feel, but I can't. Do you ever feel that way? Like there's just this weight. And I don't think it's any one thing. Uh, as I'm coming to realize, I think it's a cumulative effect of things. Not just in the political realm, not just in our day-to-day -day culture, but in the spiritual realm. If you are in tune with the Holy Spirit, you probably know what I'm talking about. There's something that you can't lay your finger on, but you know there's a heaviness because there's a battle in the spiritual realm for the souls of men and women. The biggest burden we carry is the burden for life. And not just life and the sacredness as it's given through, Jesus, or through, through God, through the womb, but eternal life through Jesus Christ. And I guess that's the biggest burden I carry today. And it's really not mine to carry, and though, because Christ dealt with that, and he carried that burden all the way to the cross. It's my role and responsibility as a pastor to show you that, to lead you there, and to allow the Holy Spirit to do his work. And what's difficult is when you lead somebody there, and they reject it. I guess that's where my burden is today. You're hearing a pastor's heart. I don't know how often you hear that. You hear me bumble on like a fool sometimes, but I truly take what I do seriously. I remember my dad used to tell me, why do you do what you do? This is before he became a Christian. He, like, you probably know my story. My dad became a Christian two years before he passed away. He died in 2018 in March. And he would always ask me, why are you, why are you a Christian? Why, why are you a pastor? That is the most stupid and foolish thing to be and to do. You manipulate people. You tug at the heartstrings trying to get them to give money or do this. He said, why do you do that? He could never understand what I did for a living. He could never understand the calling on my life. The difficulty in that is, my heart broke for him because I couldn't get him to understand the Jesus I serve whom he rejected outright. The sad thing is he was easier to reach than some who come to church because they don't reject Jesus outright. They put on the image, but they don't realize how far their hearts are from God. They play the part. They say the amens. They give their tithes and offerings. And I fear they're the ones oftentimes that are going to be standing before the judgment seat of Christ and him say, depart from me, I never knew you. But Lord, didn't we do this and this in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do all? Depart from me, I never knew you. Matthew chapter 7, check it out. See, peace is difficult, but as much as peace is difficult, salvation is difficult. Salvation isn't difficult because it's a free gift. Salvation is difficult because it's a gift that's often rejected. 
And those who do receive it don't sometimes get disillusioned. Let me say this. Those who do receive salvation, who come to belief in Christ, expect something different at times. And they're like this seed that is planted in stony soil or stony ground that it sh- the faith shoots up. They grow real quick and they say, yes, I'm, I'm all in. But then when hard times come and difficulties come, they feel disillusioned. They feel gypped somehow. And so they're like, I didn't sign up for this. I thought my life was going to get better. I thought things were going to get easier. And so they walk away. What is blessed peace? You know what blessed peace is? Blessed peace or the peace that God gives Jesus says, looks like this. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Better translation is the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, or God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the earth. This is also blessed are the meek, for those King James Version people. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for, in this translation, justice, but it can also mean righteousness. For they will be satisfied. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. You know what inhibits us from seeing God oftentimes? Our lack of confession and repentance. Because we want to say we're okay. We want to feel like we're okay, but we we don't want to do the necessary things to be okay. And it starts with, Lord, forgive me, a sinner. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against others. Please forgive me. Help me to do the things that are right and that are good. Heal me from all of those things that have separated me from you. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, or blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Did a sermon on this at the beginning of this year as we stepped out into this theme of peace this year. And there's a difference between being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. Peacekeepers just try to keep the peace that's there. They don't try to make peace. And God says those who are blessed are the ones who make peace. They go into situations. They bring peace about. They don't just try to keep the peace. They will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock and persecute you. And even lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. How many of you are happy when people mock you for your belief in God? How many of you are happy about it when you're ridiculed as some kind of weird Jesus freak? 
happiness isn't the first thought that comes to mind when I'm persecuted, ridiculed, mocked, even by those I love the most. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. You can't read any of the prophets from Isaiah to Malachi and not see the ridicule, the mockery, and the rejection they got from the general public. Anyone, any one of you who were to stand, not on a stage, but to stand and proclaim an unadulterated, clear faith in Jesus Christ are going to stand in the crosshairs of persecution and mockery. No, you don't have to stand on the street corners and preach. No, you don't have to go around with tracks, even though some people do. You don't have to blatantly call out sin in order to be persecuted. All you have to do is to be a faithful believer in Christ and not be ashamed of it, and you're eventually going to be called out as an idiot. Blessed are you. See, the truly blessed people that Jesus indicates here are the ones who are completely surrendered to God. That's what I read from all of the Beatitudes here. You are blessed when you are fully surrendered to God. You are blessed when you are fully dependent upon God. It's not until then that you can be blessed. Is that a true statement? Let's find out. When a person is truly surrendered to God in all of these different ways that Jesus says in the Beatitudes, what the world sees as a lowly existence is truly an elevated blissfulness that nothing in the world can supply. And here's the key point this morning. Those who seem to be the most oppressed have been given a great opportunity for peace and blessing from God. Let me say that one more time. Those who seem to be the most oppressed have been given a greater opportunity for a blessing for God. Where is Christianity growing the fastest in the world? China, Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan. Why? They lack the freedoms that we have. Doesn't it seem backward? Guess where Christianity is declining? Here, Europe. Europe's just ahead of us by a little bit. Canada, North America. You see, you know the reason why? <laughs> it's because people in those places realize their dependence on God. They realize how poor in the spirit they are. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They know that they've laid everything on the line. What have we laid on the line? Honestly, church, North Main Street Church of God, what have we laid on the line compared to the lives that are being laid on the line in Afghanistan right now? As the Taliban takes over and Christians... There's footage of Christians being slaughtered, beheaded, burned alive. Now, Brandon, just tell me the good news. 
See, the good news is in situations like that, there is salvation. God is still on the throne. How can he be on the throne if these bad things are happening? How can God be on the throne if he allows these kind of things to be blessings? It's because we have decided to wear the lens of the world instead of the lens of God through Scripture. And we've decided to see the way the world works through the world's eyes rather than seeing how God works through his eyes. And so when we put the lens of the world on, it doesn't look right when persecution happens. It doesn't look right when there are people who are poor in spirit, when people are mourning. How can that be a blessing? Because we haven't put on, we haven't put on the view that God gives us through Christ Jesus. To realize that if this was the all in all, if the world as it is were all, was all that, it, that we had, then what a miserable existence. But see, when Jesus gives the Beatitudes, he's saying, listen, this is temporary. This is temporary. And you're blessed if you endure these kinds of sufferings because you know that there's something beyond these sufferings that is eternal. You were not created for this. You were created for something more than this. And you can't be more than this until you come to me, Jesus says. Come to me, you are heavy burdened. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am meek and humble at heart. And then you'll find rest for your souls. Because my burden is easy and my yoke is light. You know what he's saying there in Matthew chapter 11? Jesus is saying, the burdens that you carry around are the burdens that are heaped on you from the world. But the burdens that I have for you are godly and good and light, and they will not crush you under their weight. But I see too many of you, and this is why I started off the sermon this way, I see too many of you burdened by the cares of this world. Breaking under the weight. And yes, some of you are suffering the consequences for those decisions but you're not willing. You're too proud. You're too proud to let that go. You're too proud to admit that you've done something that's got you into a situation that you are now trying to backpedal out of, but you're so deep into it, you don't know how to. You can fool everybody else. There's one person who's not a fool. He sees all he knows all, and the irony of all of this is, greater than any other individual on the face of the earth, he loves all perfectly. Though he may not agree with the decisions you've made in life. Blessed are you when you realize your need for him. This is the Beatitudes. How can we be blessed? See, peace only comes when a person recognizes that their deepest need, when they recognize their deepest needs and discover that God can truly supply those needs. 
What are your deepest needs? You don't have to tell me, but you know what they are. Or at least you think you know what they are. What are your deepest needs? I want to be loved. Genuine, true love. I don't want to, I want to be truly me. I want financial security. I want, I want, I want. What do you need? See, the one thing that we all need is eternal security. <laughs> and it's the one thing we don't often put at the forefront. I don't care what successes you have in life, what you achieve, what you don't achieve. Apart from God, it means nothing. Nothing. Our deepest need has always been for God. Blaise Pascal, great French philosopher and mathematician, though he didn't quote it this way, it's come to be quoted this way. There is a God-shaped hole in all of us. See, as image bearers of the Most High God, when we are far from God, that image isn't reflected the way it should be. When we, are believe, when we believe in Jesus Christ and have fully surrendered everything in our lives to him, is then when that image becomes complete again. And though you may not be perfect, as a believer in Christ, there is a reflection of Christ through your life. But if you are living a life for self and selfish reasons, you are not going to reflect that image, the way God designed you to reflect it. One of the things I often see is people trying to replace or place, I should say, in their hearts something that they think is going to fulfill them. What do you think fulfills you the most? What do you identify with the most? Are you just a physical being? And so all the physical urges you have are what define you. Is that, is that how we were created? Are you an emotional being? And everything in you that has all of these different types of emotional trappings, is that where your identity is rooted? What about your mental or cognitive reasoning abilities, what we call the intellect? Is it what you know and how much you know that defines you? See, the Jew, Jewish people have a concept that the soul of an individual isn't just the spirit that inhabits the body. When you read about the soul in the Old Testament, the soul is the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. And it's the soul, the holistic person that God desires to know him. Or we fall into what they call a Platonic philosophy that says it doesn't matter what you do in the body as long as you're as long as your belief is in God. 
See, that's what one of the false teachings in the early church was about. Go eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. Go live it up. Sleep around with prostitutes. Do whatever you want to do. What matters is your belief in God. You'll be okay because the body is sinful. All matter is sinful. That's the Platonic philosophy. Only the spiritual things were good. All the physical matter in the earth was evil. So it didn't matter what you did with your body as long as your spirit was connected to God. And so Paul addresses this in First and Second Corinthians and in many of his other letters where he's saying, this is a false teaching. It's a lie of the enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. It does matter what you do with the body. There's so many times where Paul writes, your body needs to be surrendered to God. This idea, blessed are the pure in heart. It's not just pure in heart, it's a pure existence. Oh, but my heart's pure. Remember growing up and hearing, do as I say, not as I do. Is that a great parenting technique? Is that a great parenting technique? Thank you. At least a few of you believe that. Uh, You use it though. (laughs) I'm going to continue to do what I want to do, but you don't do it. What do we call people that live like that? hypocrites. Jesus used that word often. That's the Greek word for actor. Do you know that? Hypocrite is the, the, the way to translate that is actor. Are you an actor? Are you a sincere individual? Are you merely playing a part? Are you living reality? Peace only comes from living for Christ in mercy, humility, purity of heart, and peacemaking. Let's look at those real quick. Mercy, what is mercy? See, mercy is the value of not enacting toward others the punishment they deserve. So let's say somebody does something to me and it it is a true betrayal and rejection that just is unfair and hurts me. Mercy is me not repaying them for the evil they've done to me. It's not reacting in kind. As Paul says in Romans 12 and Peter says in 1 Peter, do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. See, mercy is just that. This is what Jesus did. Jesus, who was the almighty God in human flesh, instead of bringing judgment on us, took our judgment on the cross. I want you to catch this because I don't know that the, because this is what we call the good news. This is why we call it the gospel. I don't want this to fall on deaf ears. Understand that Jesus extended mercy to us when he could have killed every one of us and been justified in it. Why? Because he was the holy God and then he decided instead of enacting justice, he would take your judgment upon himself. This was 2,000 years ago. That statement, that action that he did then not only dealt with the burden of sin in his day and age for all people then, but it deals for all people now. That's why we call salvation a free gift. Because what he did was to take your punishment. 
But he can't force his mercy and grace upon you. You may still be living in condemnation and judgment because of your rejection of Christ. You cannot be set free until the Son has set you free and he's done everything he could do to set you free. And if you're continuing to live in bondage to the flesh, the the sensual, sexual, and otherwise desires of the body, you have not become free indeed. If the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. But you are free from sin and death. It doesn't mean you're free to go on living the way you want to, how you want to, because you've enslaved yourself now to Christ rather than the sin and the fleshly desires of this world. See, this is very clear. We like to think there's gray area here, but Jesus pretty much drew this great line. And he says, you're either for me or against me. If you're for me, you believe in me and you accept the offer of salvation rather than condemnation to sin. I'm going to give this to you freely. I'm going to give you access to God through the throne room of grace. You can have it. It's right here. But if you decide to stay over here, there's nothing else I can do for you. You've basically solidified your own disbelief and decided that hell is your course. Now, we don't like to talk about that. We like to talk about heaven and grace and mercy and goodness, but there is a counter to that. Yes? Yes, God is good, but God is just. God's justice and fairness is far beyond what the world's justice and fairness is. And his justice and fairness is perfect. And in the end, when you've been given every amount of time possible to believe in him and to surrender your life to him, when you breathe your last breath, if you've, cons- if you- if you've decided to stay on this side of things and do it your own way, You've exempted yourself from that mercy and that grace. These are harsh truths we don't like to talk about, but we live in a day and age where I can't, as a pastor, as I'm growing older, maybe I'm getting a little more senile or whatever. I just, I'm realizing time is of the essence, people. And maybe I'm preaching to the choir. Maybe every one of you within the sound of my voice has completely surrendered your lives to Christ. You have repented of your sin. You were not continuing in a lifestyle of sin. And I'm just preaching to the choir. If so, thanks for your patience. But if not, you're faced with a choice today. If you reject it, you're not rejecting me. You're rejecting the word of God. You're rejecting God himself. What about humility? Let's take a look at this quality. This word is translated as meek. It's a quality of self-estimation that doesn't see the self as less than or greater than anybody else, but rather sees themselves with an honest assessment compared to Christ. We do a great job comparing ourselves to others. Well, I'm better than so-and-so. I'm better than so-and-so. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I could be 
just like this person, but I'm not. You see, when we get into this comparison game, the enemy gets us trapped into comparing ourselves to people who are imperfect. The only comparison game that we should be doing is ourselves in comparison with God. Yes? Well, that sounded really heavy. Yes. Listen, and I'll be honest with you, it's never fun to compare yourself to God. Say it again. Yes, very much so. The reality is when we compare ourselves to God, we, re- we realize how diminished we are in our capacity and in our goodness and in our holiness compared to an all-holy, all-perfect God. Yes? We don't like to do that. We like to compare ourselves to people we think we can compare to. We can't compare to God. And so we avoid it like the plague. But the true step into humility is not comparing yourself with any one of you, but comparing yourself to the Almighty God and realizing, whoa, the weightiness of that matter puts me in stark contradiction to where he is and to where I am. When you do that, you are now at a place where you can receive grace. Humility or meekness of heart isn't groveling and self-loathing, but realizing who you are compared to who created you. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 that we should consider our uh, others as better than ourselves. And I used to read that, and you maybe have heard me say this before, I used to read that as, I've got to consider other people as better than myself. He doesn't put a stipulation on who the other people are, so it means anyone. He's speaking to the church, but he's making this blanket statement, consider others as better than yourselves. So now, if I'm considering others as better than myself, then what am I doing? I'm looking at other people as image bearers of God, whether or not they are believers in Christ or not, and I'm elevating their status to a place where I should with regard to who God has called them to be. They may not be living up to that estimation, but I'm seeing them the way God sees them. And I'm not lowering myself down to a place of self-loathing and groveling. Instead, I'm seeing myself for who I am in Christ. Because he's talking to the church, Philippians 2, consider others as better than yourselves. He's telling us that we have to have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Who being the very God, didn't see equality with God as something to attain to. But rather, he humbled himself, even to the point of death on a cross. Now think about that. Jesus was God. But he didn't walk around strutting his stuff with a chip on his shoulder saying, hey, I'm God. Got the tattoo. Right? He didn't walk around pushing his weight. Instead, he served, he loved, and yes, I don't know why, as a church, we only see the good things that Jesus preached about. He preached a message of hellfire and brimstone. He definitively drew lines in the sand often. 
But we, think to, we like to think of the meek and mild Jesus that's weak and just kind of, oh, woe is me. Jesus wasn't that. Jesus was strong. He was good. And he couldn't be pushed around. But he never lifted a finger in violence toward anyone. And instead, he who was very God considered other people more important, so much so that he was willing to die for them. Think about that for a minute. We need to have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. We need to consider others as better than ourselves. Jesus showed us the example of that in that he was willing to take the cross for us. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to, if you're good enough. I'm willing to do it for a good person or somebody of respect. I'm willing to do that for somebody somebody that, that really deserves that. Did any one of us deserve salvation? Did any one of us deserve the mercy that God gave through the cross of Christ? See, you know why revival hasn't come? Because we think we're deserving. (laughs) It's about me and what I want. It's about me and what I deserve. There is a lack of humility within the American church that says, I'm going to stand and I'm going to claim what's mine. Glory be to Jesus. And the only thing you can claim is through humility, step into the throne room of grace because Christ has done something for you. That's all you can claim. And it says you can step into that arena boldly and confidently because of Christ, not because of you or because of me. I have no biblical evidence for this, but I like to think all the doors in heaven are just a bit shorter than I am tall. There are some cultures that are like this where you have to duck to get into the house. It's a sign of respect and honor to bow to come into somebody's home. The only thing we can claim is salvation through Jesus Christ because we deserve nothing else. We don't even deserve that. And that should, be hum- that should be humbling enough for all of us. The pure in heart. Being pure in heart is the quality of being clean or free from guilt or sin. Jesus was completely pure or without sin. Thus, the connection between the Father and him was perfect and clear. To be pure in heart is to be completely unclouded by those things that would separate us from God. See, the pure in heart see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. We don't see God. It's one of the common things I hear from people that talk to me is, how do I know the voice of God? How can I see God? How do I know if God's calling me here, calling me there? And I Uh, The question is, do you know God or do you know Christ intimately? Are you fully surrendered in all areas of your life? Is there any unrepentant sin in your life that's holding you back from seeing God? See, blessed are the pure in heart are those people who are clean. And those people who are clean are not clean because they've cleaned themselves, but are because they've surrendered their lives to Christ who has shed his blood on the cross. And we are told scripturally through Paul's writings that that blood spilled on the cross from Jesus Christ makes us clean. 
makes our sin as white as snow. It's not a commendable thing to have sin in your life, but it is a commendable thing to receive Jesus Christ and allow that grace to cover that multitude of sins. The pure in heart are the only ones who can see God. Well, why can't I see God? I can't tell you why you can't see God, but a few questions I might have is, what are you holding back? What are you not doing in your life as disciplines to know Christ better? Are you in the word, chewing it up as much as you conceivably can? Or do you just come to church on Sunday, listen to the pastor rant on and on, and oh shoot, it's about time to go. I hope he finishes up. If this is it for you, what a sad testimony of faith. These words don't grow a church. This is why I'm not a mega church pastor. You know why people aren't beating down the doors to North Maine? Because this message is hard to hear. But pastor, we need to be growing the church. We need to be reaching the lost. Well, we need a program, pastor. We need an evangelist. No, you are the program. You are the ones who are called by the name of God through Jesus Christ to be his hands and his feet. Well, pastor, we need an organized approach. Did the early church have an evangelism program? Did they have an evangelism explosion program? Did they have tracks that go door to door? They lived it out. Their lives were a testimony of the living God because they knew him intimately through Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit was so palpable in the presence of the community of faith. There was no questioning where God was and what he looked like and what he sounded like. Church, we've got to get back to him. We can't get back to a program. It's not about program. It's about people. It's not about programs. It's about a person. See, I think this is, what do humans do best? We complicate things. As I'm getting older, I realize, sorry, I'm getting a little sweaty. As I'm getting older, I realize, why do we have everything under the sun to distract us from what's most important? Sure, we can have a lot of good things going on, but if they're not focusing on the most important thing, Christ, why are we doing them? Because we want to be entertained. We want to see people come and be entertained. Why aren't we, we used to do this well before my time, please don't crucify me because of this. The living Christmas tree. We'd have over 5,000 people in a weekend. Where are they? <laughs> Is it about drawing numbers? No. See, I think one of the enemy's greatest tools in the church is distraction. If he gets distracted on good things, we eliminate the best thing. Pastor, when are we going to do some new thing? What is this next new vision? When are you going to cast some? We, we, we feel like we're lost. No, I'm pointing you to the answer every week. <laughs> I don't know what more I could do. Maybe you want a pastor to tickle your ears and to make you feel good. I'm not the guy. I told you that when I first came on. 
And again, I know I'm just in my mid-40s, but I feel old in the ministry. I'm realizing, I'm realizing that flowery words aren't enough. And this is, I want you to hear, this isn't coming from a heart of anger or hatred or disapproval. I truly am burdened about these things because I love you. I need you to know that. Well, you, you don't call me often enough. <laughs> you haven't visited me in a while. No, and I want you to know that that burdens me. Do you know how often I'm beating myself up because, oh, shoot, I haven't called so-and-so in a while, or I haven't visited with such-and-such, and the just torment of not being able to be everything to all people is hard. <laughs> when the desire of my heart is to be that way, and yet I still have a family of four kids and a wife that desire me too, and I've got to give my best to them, not because I have to, but because I want to, because if I raise my family and those kids go off without a godly foundation, then what good was anything I did here? Peacemaker. Peacemaker, simply put, they make peace. I'm not going to belabor that point. Are you making peace in every way you conceivably can? Lastly, peace only comes through suffering for Christ in ways that run counter to the world's expectations. See, in this world, I think oftentimes we strive for comfort and success, accomplishment. And though there's nothing wrong with, with, with comfort or success, when those become the end all to our search in life, they come up empty. No matter, there's no amount of success or comfort or accomplishment that this world can give you that will ever complete you. Success and accomplishment is, in God's kingdom is found in how much one achieve, not in how much one achieves in personal matters, but rather in how much one serves others, even their enemies. The greatest in the kingdom, what does Jesus say? It's the one who serves. See, it's upside down to the world, isn't it? The world says, claw your way to the top any way you can, and if you leave a trail of bodies behind, so be it. Side note, there's a podcast that I listened to, just, I mean, I, I devoured it. It's called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. You ever hear of a guy by the name of Mark Driscoll? Real big megachurch pastor back in the 90s and early 2000s, and the church came crumbling down. The name of the church was Mars Hill. There was one statement he made in there, and I thought was atrocious. I mean, there were several statements, but it shows you the heart of this guy. And, and their church continued to grow leaps and bounds. And, and you would say, well, that's success. But he, he fired two of his elders. And the very next, I think, message he gave at the church is, or in an interview was, there's a wake of bodies from the bus of Mars Hill that are left behind. Some of them might even get thrown under the bus and trampled by the bus, but I, I, and he says, as long as I'm the pastor here, I hope there's a trail of bodies that have been plowed over by Mars Hill. Because you were either on the bus, or you're off the bus, or you're under the bus. I'm thinking, whoa, where's that in scripture? 
North Main is not a bus that's going to run over you. North, North Main isn't a bus that's going to outright judge you. You have an ultimate judge. We all do. And we'll all stand before that judge equally. Attesting to our faith in Christ. And we will be judged accordingly. It's not North Main's job to judge you. You are welcome here no matter the condition of your soul, your body, your life, or your mindset. But know when you step through these doors, as long as I'm the pastor, you will hear the complete truth of the gospel of Christ. I hope you understand that. But here's the thing. What you hear is condemnation and judgment are the words of God. And if you stand in stark contradiction and feel the weight of that judgment, it's not because we're judging you, but because you are judging yourself by the life you're living. Again, we will love on you no matter the condition of your heart. But we may not agree with where you are. We will love on you because God first loved us. But we will also plead with you because we love you. Let me just close with this as our worship team comes forward. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25 Paul writes, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. You may have heard me talk about the cross, the grace of God, the mercy given through, by Christ to us when we deserve condemnation and judgment. He offers us salvation and freedom instead. It sounds foolishness, sounds like foolishness to the world, to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Think of our realm of academia. Those who hold the degrees and the PhDs, who are instructing the next generations of kids, I will frustrate the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the wise man? Where's the scholar? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand a miraculous sign. Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to the Jews, and it's foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Greeks and Jews, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. I've done this illustration before, but it bears repeating. There's a story told of how matinee idol Alexander Rostovez, Russian actor, was converted while playing the role of Jesus in a sacrilegious play in Russia called Christ in a Tuxedo. He was supposed to read two verses from the Sermon on the Mount in this play. 
He was supposed to then remove his ground and his gown and cry out, "Give me my tuxedo and my top hat." But as he read the words, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. He began to tremble on stage. Instead of following the script, it's said that he kept reading from Matthew chapter 5, ignoring the coughs and the calls and the foot stamping of his fellow actors to snap out of it and get back into the play. Finally, recalling a verse that he had learned in his childhood, he cried out, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And before the curtain would be lowered, he had trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. To truly be blessed is to have this veil pulled from your eyes. To truly see the condition of who you are in comparison to who Christ is And to fall on your face before him in sweet surrender and repentance and say, Lord, my Lord and my God, forgive me. I had somebody ask me this week if we have a deliverance minister on staff. (laughs) And no, we don't have a deliverance minister on staff. But all of our staff are to minister deliverance to the people. If you are here and you truly are lost, questioning, struggling with questions, even as a believer in Christ, that you can't put your finger on but are causing doubt in your soul, it's okay to come forward. It's okay to make a fool of yourself for Christ rather than to be a fool for the world. The altars are always open. Nobody will condemn you here, but if you want delivered from the burdens and the cares of this life and to have the freedom that only Christ can give, it's a hard few steps to take, but it's the best few steps you'll ever make. Father, in this place, you are the great deliverer. We are conduits of your grace, your love, and your mercy. But without you, we are powerless. As I prayed earlier before service started, I pray that you would be glorified in this place. I pray that you'd bring deliverance from sin and burden and baggage and history and past and addiction that you deliver people from the infirmities that are in their body that are racking their physical abilities. Oh Lord, without you, we're hopeless. But with you, we have more hope than we can contain. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. This man means a lot to me, and I'm sure he means a lot to every one of you, and it, it, (laughs) that's right.
and you, you, you say how much you love us, and I'm sure there's a lot of us who just want to cry out that we love you too. And I think, it's, uh, I think this is just fitting right now before we get into worship. Um, we need to pray over this man. I just, I just, he, he needs that. He stands up here week after week and ministers to us, and it's time we minister back to him. So if you guys, whoever wants to, just come on down. We're going to lay hands on Brandon right now. We're allowed, we're allowed to take a little bit of liberty in, in services for something like this today. I guess I'm the one praying, huh? <laughs> See what you started? Yeah, I know. I got the microphone. Come on in, everybody. If you can't touch Brandon, touch somebody that's touching Brandon. We'll form a chain. Well, Father God, here we are. Lord, we're not perfect. And... Uh, we have a man and that stands up here and serves you faithfully week after week. And I know he's a man after your heart, Lord. And I know he's a man for his wife and his kids. And I know his heart burdens for all of us. Father, I just lift him up. We lift him up. The strength of this church, the body of this fellow believers that are standing here in this church today, Lord, we lift him up as high as we possibly can. Lord, we pray a blessing over him and what he does, and may his words, Lord, just ring true for you every week and every time he gets up here and preaches. Father, I hope that by gathering here right now today that he can feel your love through us. Lord, our church may not be perfect and it may be small, but I just pray that as, 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 we, as we have our, our, our slogan on the wall, that we know you intimately, grow in you continually, and go for you daily, I hope that is our lifestyle. That is something that we do every minute, every day. We keep focused on you. And I pray, Lord, for the strength of Brandon to continue to lead us and direct us, even when there's times where we feel like we frustrate him. We ask forgiveness, Lord, sometimes for our, for our apathy and how we feel, and we just seem to just gather here at times and not put emotion into this or feeling into this. But, Lord, strengthen us to take steps. Allow us to take what you teach us here every week and apply it to our lives. May we be that living sacrifice that we don't need that program or a motto or a, or a, or a, or a speech to read. Lord, allow us to be your son in all that we say and do. Father, we love you. Brandon, we love you. We ask you to continue to lead us. And we offer this all in your son's name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.